what we're going to do today is I'm going to begin with a little kind of where we are now and where we're headed set up for the class today on the Mass and the Eucharist. Um, and, um, and then Rosalind will take it and um, um, go from there. And then we'll, you know, we'll kind of keep it a little bit informally. And then afterwards, I'm going to take Rosalind to lunch across the street. If anyone would like to join us just to keep the discussion going, you'd be most welcome to come. That, that um, Boston will go. Great. I want to make a couple of introductions um, because we have an honored guest or two here. Um, one of them is, of course, our speaker, Rosalind Mock, who say a few words about there. Um, coming to us from San Diego. Very good. And she brought a guest with her, Molly. What's your last name, Molly? O'Hare. Molly is an aspiring screenwriter. Is that correct? Producer. Producer, okay. Um, and she's studying at John Paul II University, or John, John Paul the Great, under Chris Riley, uh, someone who is known to us from Act One. So um, uh, really nice to have her. Uh, Molly, consider this your future community. <laughs> yeah. um, and then also, um, thank God, talk about in the nick of time, and, and it's been coming for so many years. Father Don with Nikki is now a citizen of Los Angeles. So, uh, <laughs> Father Don has been commuting from Chicago um, for years now. And I met him when he was a seminarian. Uh, he came to the Act One when we were at the old Mears Center, and some, one of the students brought him to me and said, there's a seminarian who wants to talk to you. And I, it was something, the conversation was something like, um, I think what you're doing is great. And I was like, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. You need to work in this business, and then you'll know how to help these people. And um, he did. He got a job on the, uh, as his apostolic assignment as a seminarian um, on Sunset Beach, working with the people. When I heard about that, I was like, what did I say? You know, but no, anyway, um, he really took it seriously, fell in love with our people, and um, has now um, found a way, uh, the Cardinal's given him his blessing, to work out here to serve the, the Christian community of Hollywood, um, the needs, the spiritual needs of the community, and also the broader church to be a bridge for us to the broader church. So, Father Don is going to be a big part of this program now. I'm hoping, uh, especially in the idea of being the person who you guys can talk to if you would like to, along with Father Willie, of course. But Father Don, you know, uh, free. He hasn't been completely snapped up yet, <laughs> so we're getting him early. But um, I would, uh, before we leave, Father, if you can write your email here. And that way, if you want to have one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations with Father um, anytime about anything in any way, um, that's what he's here for, um, among other things. And maybe if we have it sometime at the end, Father, you could talk a little bit about about what you are doing here. We'll see. Um, we got to see where we're going, but hopefully we will have time. <clears throat> Very good. And I want to thank Father Willie again, our host, as always, for letting us be here. So. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm just going to quickly kind of say where we are and where we're going, um, hopefully now in the second half. Um, Vicki pointed out to me um, last semester that we really hadn't heard anything different yet, that it was all just Christian stuff. And I've been brooding over that comment for the last six weeks um, because it seemed to me, and this is going to be my response that I wish I had been witty enough to say then, uh, or profound enough, but I didn't. Um, that's because the Catholic Church's presumption is that there is only Christian. And if you get your Christian thing right, you're Catholic. Do you, do you, know, this, do you know what I'm saying there? Like, there's, the Catholic Church doesn't see 
this division in Christendom. It sees Jesus gave this stuff and it's been entrusted to the Christian community, the church. So Catholic and Christian is not, there's no distinction, I think. That's how I would say it. Um, I remember um, when Barbara Hall spoke at intermission. Afterwards, one of the Aquin alums came up to me and said, I hated how she kept saying she became a Catholic instead of she'd become a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't you understand? It's the same thing. It's absolutely the, the interchangeable in our understanding. We consider, we consider. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there: Protestants, Catholics who just aren't doing it all, or who haven't gotten it all. For some reason, they're st they're not they're not eating everything at the table, and that's the sense. So. One of the reasons we did start with all this kind of basic Christianity was because also um, I want you to know that this makes sense, Christianity, on a rational way. Like theology is that. It's bringing your brain and your reason to our practice, <clears throat> our religious practice. Now, my experience is if you're coming out of a strictly biblical tradition, um, and I've, you know, I've been around evangelicals like a more than a decade now, very intimately, my closest friends. Um, the problem has become that it's like if, as long as I, as long as you're somebody who reads the Bible, we can communicate. But we don't read the Bible, we can't communicate. I need you to do that, and then we can talk. And see, I think that theology is the thing that bridges that problem, because it says this makes rational sense. And and so what we tried to do in the first half, if you had done all the readings and and because um, they really, the readings were very key, was to kind of set up the situation of what happened in, in, in hum the human story and, and now where we are now. And so where we are now is the church, it seems to me, like that was the answer. But let me, let me go through it briefly and then set it up and then um, I'm going to turn it over to Rosalind and I'm already, we're already running a few minutes late, so I have five minutes to do the entire justification for Christianity, but you've been there, so here we go. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, essentially the problem was, and I was trying to think of a way to diagram this, and it's, oh, every time you do a diagram, I remember a Jesuit telling me once, a proof that, a di that something is heretical is that you can diagram it. <laughs> anyway, having said that, here I go. Um, I mean, the notion of a tree, we're, we're story metaphor people, right? So I'm going to use a tree. And the tree is God, the divine life, right? There he is. And um, <clears throat> the idea was that, that the divine wanted to share himself um, and just keep multiplying the, the love out there, right? So he creates beings that can share this divine life, live in this dynamic of total self-revelation, total self-giving, um, and then um, and the joy of it, all right? Now... What happens then is we cut um, off from the tree. So you have all over the cosmos, right, now this occurring. And what is the natural end then of this thing that has been cut off from the tree? Death. Death. And uh, remember, we talked about the aspects of the human person. I hate this pen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. 
the aspects of the human person. Remember, we talked about them. What are some of them? The levels of the human person when we study personhood. The kinds of life you can have. Hey, Sean. There's a physical life. Come on, guys. Wake up. New year. What are the other kinds of life that you have? Spiritual. Spiritual life. Very good. What else? Emotional. Emotional. <coughs> yes? Intellectual. Moral. Can we leave any out? Intellectual, physical, moral. Psychological. You figure in Hollywood, that's the one that we're right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so when we say that there's death now, that means that every aspect of us is death, is, is experiencing death. And this is the situation now. But God is not done with the human race. He's not done with us. And he has pity on us in this situation of death. And so he enters in. Right? Now, um, he enters in to give, communicate back to us his life so that we cannot be dead anymore. The question is, how are you going to do that? How are you going to give life back to people who are cut off? And that becomes the problem, theologically, that we're going to talk about today. We've been kind of setting up, right? How do you give life back when people are dead? I mean, you've got to come up with a system. If I told you, you have life here in the center, and you have people here who are cut off, what are you going to do? You've got to figure out a way, um, a, a conduit. You've got to figure out a way to, to be a conduit of life back to those people. So God brooded over this, right? And, um, and uh, comes up with, um, we're going to remake the whole thing. We are going to, um, we are going to become this. <laughs> so Jesus is now going to be us. Now, but why? Why does Jesus need to be human? Okay, um, and believe me, I'm, this is a recap, so hopefully this is connecting with you again, just trying to get there. Okay, yeah, so then the, the next thing I want you to think about, and this is de directly the most remote preparation, and probably Clayton touched this with you at the, the end of the year. Um, you're producers. You have to produce a sacrifice. You're going to produce a sacrifice. You need to cast it. Who are you casting? What do you think? What do we have to have there? You're producing a sacrifice. A sacrifice? A sacrifice. Yeah. Okay, so I say to you, in other words, we have this disconnect. There needs to be an atonement made. Because we just can't, we just can't fix this there has to be justice served. There has to be uh, um, an atonement made because of this block breaking off thing that we spoke about. So, so there's going to be an atonement. There needs to be a sacrifice. Who needs to be there? Okay, well, let's start with Isaac and Abraham. Daddy, what's missing? What, is that? what did Isaac say to Abraham? Somebody? 
Where's the lamb? Very good. Please, this is like pulling teeth. All right, so one of the things you need for a sacrifice, the first thing you need is going to be, right, the victim. Okay? Somebody's got to be sacrificed. You get that? Okay, what else? Next. Hmm? The method? Well, the method, the method, but I'm talking about the casting. Okay, we need the priests. Very good. Somebody has to offer the sacrifice. What else do you need? Somebody has to receive it. Somebody has to receive it, right? Because otherwise, what's going on here? There needs to be somebody. (laughs) There needs to be somebody who is the recipient. The recipient of the sacrifice. the, the, The person who is saying, okay, I accept. Offering to. Okay. Right. Okay. The people who are rec- who are the benefiting. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So this is being offered on their behalf. Now, why? When we talk about this atonement, we're heading for the Mass and the Eucharist today. Um, see, the problem is there was nobody to ask. There was nobody to ask for the atonement. Because none of us could make the question with sincerity and purity of heart. Because we were so consumed with, with our own sin, our own, our own narcissism, our own self-interest. So there's nobody there to do it. So in order to even ask for this to happen, we need, uh, we need Christ to come in and ask the perfect question. Or we need someone who can ask the question perfectly. And then we need a victim who is worthy of being sacrificed, because otherwise we have the Cain and Abel problem, don't we? Like, I don't want that crap. When, when I was in the convent, um, our novice mistress used to tell us, when you, when you give something to Jesus, you should be saying, here, Jesus, here's some more junk. <laughs> because basically, you know, it was like, that's, that's what we bring. Um, I'm not going to gossip about someone today. <laughs> that's great. Here, Jesus, here's some more junk. <laughs> but, like, he takes that and turns it into something that saves the world, right? Okay, so, um, but the question is, so we don't, have a, any, we don't have a perfect victim. We don't have anybody to ask. We don't have a priest. Who's going to offer the sacrifice? Which one of you? Um, so we have a problem in wanting to get atoned, don't we? And if you read the Psalms, God bless you, the Psalms make this cry over and over again. What are we going to do? 
We, we don't even know how to say what our problem is. We don't know anybody who can fix it. We don't have anybody who's pure enough to even to make this repertory thing. So, so this becomes the rationale now, it seems to me, for the incarnation as a necessary thing. It's, we needed somebody to ask, and it had to be us. So Christ has to be in flesh. He has to become a man. And then as a man can do this, priest, victim, right? This is God, the Father, right? God, whatever, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is us. But the, the, and this is the only part of the equation that isn't perfect, isn't it? Because we get perfection, perfection, perfection. <laughs> so this is why I believe you have Mary standing at the foot of the cross on Calvary as the witness. And we spoke about Mary right before Christmas. But suddenly her role on Calvary at that sacrifice becomes now we have perfection because there's a perfect recipient a sinless witness um, who's standing there on our behalf the way he's standing there on our behalf he's standing there on our behalf right? okay um, that's what I'm going to say because I think hopefully that sets up in some sense now the Mass and the Eucharist but, um, we, yes. Why do we need a sinless witness? Because it's appropriate. Because it's appropriate. And God is nothing if not appropriate. You know, I think the idea of appropriate is it has a huge, um, appropriateness has a huge role in things theological and spiritual. You know, you see things over and over in the scriptures. It is good for us to be here. It is fitting that we should do this. Um, even at the right before the Mass, we say, it is right to give God thanks and praise. It's appropriate. Um, it's, it is the, 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 the reason, response to the cosmos is that we do this thing. And so in this case, why do you need a sinless witness? Well, because, because the whole, that would be the one part of the picture that isn't... Um, you know, isn't appropriate. I think so. To me, that makes that that makes Mary's role a very interesting one theologically. Um, there, and um, that's my own little gloss on that um, thing. But uh, but the, this part here, certainly, Christ as the perfect priest, interceding without any flaw, making the perfect request, and then the victim himself making the perfect offering, un, untainted, un, you know, and whole. And now we talk about the Mass now as the, the ongoing um, renewal of this dynamic for all eternity because God isn't done with us yet. He wants to still make people. And so he had to work out a way that the death in us could be healed by connecting us back into the divine life and until he's done making humans. Okay? That's my own on it. And with that, I'm now